how do you end? I want to um, I want to take you uh, uh, to a, as Cheryl said, probably my favorite scripture, um, and end with this. Um, This has got to be one of the richest psalms that I, I know. Um, and uh, I want to I take you into it for a little bit and visit a bit and kind of apply it to who we are and what we're doing here even today. Uh, but let me start with a story. And some of you know I really do love stories. I came across this story just this week and had never read it before. Um, Here's the picture. I want to take you back to England. I want to take you to north of London in a little uh, village, a little Anglican church. I don't know if you've seen those pictures of those little Anglican churches, a stone made and a little steeple on the top and a little bell. And, and uh, you know, the community has been in this church and out of this church for, for 100 plus years. And Right next to those little churches was always a cemetery. Now let me paint the picture for you and then tell you the story. If the camera focused in, you would see the church was empty. It was a regular part of the middle of the week and no one was at church and there was no meetings. And if the camera focused from the church to the cemetery, it would show you that there was this old man sitting on one of the benches among the tombstones. He was sitting there, his shoulders were hunched, and if you looked really closely, he was sobbing, he was crying. As, as you got a little bit closer, you started to realize that this was the pastor or this was the priest of this rectory, this, this little church. He had been there for years and years and years and loved these people and cared for them through the good days and the bad days. But he was sitting among the grave tombstones and he was, he was just weeping with great sadness. He was 70, 80 years old and if you, uh, if, if you knew his situation and what was going on, he had just finished a meeting with some of the leaders of his church. These leaders uh, loved him and cared for him, but this poor pastor was just getting too old. He was forgetful and his health wasn't good and, and they were quite concerned about him and so they sat him down and said, we're gonna ask you to quit. We're gonna ask you to take retirement. We're going to ask you to quit ministering here. We're going to find someone young with more energy and, and more current and all of that to come in. And, and we love you, but it's time. And the grief and the sadness overwhelmed him. And he just sat there and cried. Interesting, though, as he was sitting there weeping, um, on the, on the road next to the church, a young boy was walking past. This little boy was probably between the ages of 10, maybe 12 years old. And he was just minding his own business and, and all of that. But this priest, he loved kids. He loved working with the kids in the church and all, all kinds of stuff. And so he called him over and introduced himself and started talking. And, and it was like all of his grief disappeared as he focused on this young boy. 
asked who he was, and he, he, was, he was a weaver's son down the road, and, and he was just walking through, and asked questions, got to know him a little bit. Now, this man was a man of God, this priest, and he, he looked at the young boy and started to ask him spiritual questions. And, and those spiritual questions led to a spiritual decision. He, he said, have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life? And, and this, this uh, little boy says, no, actually, I, I never have. How do I do that? And he explained. And, and, and together, this little boy and this old priest prayed together, and this boy asked Jesus Christ into his heart and life. They talked a bit more, and then the young boy got up and was on his journey again to where he was going originally. As, uh, as this story is told, I'm, uh, the, the author of the story says several months later, this priest passed away. The last person he was to lead to the Lord was this little boy. This little boy was probably 10 or 12. When he turned 14, his father made arrangements for a cobbler in the next town to train him in the profession. And so he had learned to make shoes, he learned to repair shoes, all of that kind of stuff. And, and so all of that would, would be his trade from the rest of his life. And so he moved and he started to learn the skills and the, the abilities and all of those kind of things. Now this was a young man with an incredibly bright mind. And he had never lost this passion for Jesus Christ. And so when he wasn't working, he was reading the Bible. When he wasn't reading the Bible, he was learning and trying to teach himself. He had this incredible aptitude for languages. He taught himself Greek, and then he taught himself Hebrew, and then he taught himself Italian, then he taught himself Dutch, and then he taught himself French. I, I can't imagine having all of those skills, learning them themselves. He got married. It was strange, the contrast. His wife was completely illiterate, couldn't read or write. And he helped teach her. When he got a little bit older and he got his own shop, he would put a map on the wall and the map was of the world. And, and when people would come in, he would point to this country and say, do you know in this country it's full of pagans? There's people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And, and do you know about this country? People have never heard of Jesus Christ in this country. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And out of a Baptist mission, he, he and his wife and the children they had got on a boat and went to India. Now, some of you already have figured out who he is. His name is William Carey. He was the pioneer of modern missions. But what struck me as I looked at, at this story was this one little priest. He was finished the job, but he was still faithful to the word. I want to do that once more with you. I want to take you into the word for just a few moments and talk to you about the wonder of who our God is and the wonder of his salvation. Now, I want to take you to Psalm 103 because I, I love it. It was written by King J David. And as, as you and I look at it, I, I want you to know a couple things as, as we enter it. First of all, this is, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a song of gratitude or praise. It, it, it focuses on, on our benefits. 
Now, when the psalmist starts, he starts by talking about praise the Lord, O my soul. And, and then he'll, he'll put these phrases under it. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Now, that's at the beginning of the psalm. At the end of the psalm, it's like he, he, he goes back to that and intensifies. So, so it's like there's two brackets. And, and the first is praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And, and then at the end, he starts praising the Lord again. But he adds something. He adds those angels to sing beside him. And, and then he adds all of the heavenly hosts to sing beside him. And then he wants to add all of the wonders or the works of God that are praising God for his wonder and his glory and his might together. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where the Hallelujah Chorus is so, and uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it's built, and the Casenjo, can't do the word today, and, and, and it just builds, and there's energy, and there's power, and, and, and so he starts with praise, and at the end, it's like everybody, even the heavens, join in praising how powerful and wonderful God is. Now, David wants you not to miss that, that we begin with praise, and we end with praise. Then he adds two other interesting dynamics that I find rather fascinating. He paints a picture of you and I, and he paints a picture of God. The first thing, he's, he looks at you and I, and he talks about the brevity of life. Now, Edwin was asking me how old I am. Yeah, I am 65. Okay. And, 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 and listen to the psalmist as I reflect on the incredible ancient of my age. He says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. His is, it, he flourishes like a flower in the field and the wind blows over it and it's gone and his place remembered no more. What, what's he saying? Have you ever noticed how short life is? As you get older, you'll realize how fast it goes. People keep asking me these last couple weeks, 39 years, how does that feel? Like a blip. It was so fast. It, it, and, and some of you know exactly, and others of you are young pups, and you think it's going to last forever. But God, David wants you to hear this. Life is short. Life is short. And, 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 and we're born, and we bloom, and we, we flower, and then we fade. Now he wants you to have that picture in your mind. Then he takes a second picture. The second picture, he tries to explain what God is life. Like, he doesn't explain about his power. He doesn't explain much about his sovereignty, although that's implied. He doesn't explain about the, the might and awesome and creativity and all of that. He talks about God's character. And he, and he uses words repeatedly. He says, have you remembered how compassionate God is? Is that a word you use to describe God? That he is compassionate toward you? You've done this and he hasn't held it against you. The Lord is compassion and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's the second word. He uses it twice too. And, and this, is, this is godly love. This is, this is unconditional love. This is, this is dynamic, expressive, wonderful, all, the, the greatest of love. 
So he's compassionate towards you. He loves you. And the last thing it says is he, we are to fear him. Now, now, this isn't a fear of terror. This isn't a fear of, of, of anxiety. This is a fear of awe, how wonderful God is. And, and so David says, I, I want to talk to you about, uh, about this wonderful praise that you have for God. But I want you to remember who he is and who you are. He's mighty and he's powerful and he's eternal and, and he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's loving. And as you see him, you will stand back in awe. And you, you will be born and you'll be gone. And yet, God has poured his love and compassion into each of us. When I was... Uh, about eight years old, my dad was pastoring in Edmonton, and uh, we had a little church, a little Baptist church, and, uh, and, and right next to it, kitty corner to it, was a little manse, and I remember being eight years old one evening, I, I don't know what happened, I don't know what was going on to cause it, but I was sitting on a bunk back in, the visual I have is, you remember those old iron bunks, you know, two metal bunks with, you know, two little flat uh, mattresses on them? I remember sitting on that, and my mom was sitting with me, and my mom led me to the Lord, and I asked Jesus Christ into my heart and life. What a compassionate, loving God. And it was sincere, and, and it's visual today, and I still, still remember that day. As, as I start to, to, to think about that, I go back to Psalm 103, and Psalm 103 has this marvelous passage that, that you should visit afterwards and, and, and look at it a little bit closer. And listen, listen to what David says as he describes the benefits of knowing and being in a dynamic living relationship with God. He forgives all of my sins. He heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from, the de from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies, and fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle. Now let me back up. He forgives all of my sins. Every sin that you confess, he will come and wash it away and cleanse it. If you continue reading in this psalm, you'll find one of the phrases about how God deals with your sin. He says, I'm going to separate it as far as the east is from the west. Ever try to measure that? As far as the east is from the west. He says, I'm, I'm going to separate from you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to make you new again. He says, then he says, and he heals all my diseases. Now, this is the most highly debated verse in the whole chapter, of course. Because there's other, some people who run around and, and want to say that any disease you have, any sickness you had, you, got, you pray and God will take it away. Well, that's not been our experience, right? But here's the reality. If you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, there's going to come a day when you will have no more sickness and you'll have no more sorrow and you'll have no more grief and you'll have no more pain. Count on it as a gift to God. Otherwise, he's talking about how when situations come into your life that bring pain and struggle and sorrow and, and all of those kind of things, God will enter that place and be with you. Then, then he says, he redeems me from death. What's that talking about? That's talking about hell and heaven. 
It's talking about the fact that, that he, he has come and he has taken away. That, that I have no fear of, of hell because I'm not going there. I have an expectation and anticipation. I have this incredible hope of heaven and eternity. David looks at us and says, when you see the love of your God, he will come in and he will take your sin away. He will work in your life as you journey through this. And at the end, he will give you eternal life. Now, here's an interesting thing that struck me as I looked at this passage. All of us count on these first three. But have you ever looked at the next four? I want to suggest to you, there's some Christians who just bother with the first three. Well, I'm saved. When I have trouble, I pray to God. And I'm going to heaven. God has so much more for you. Listen to the psalmist. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. Otherwise, that I have this dynamic living relationship with God. And, and I experience his love, and I experience his tenderness, and I ex- experience his compassion. And, and, and again, and again, and again, when I deserve punishment, I get mercy. When I when deserve consequences, I get grace. Look at the word he uses, it crowns. Otherwise, he's talking about how special you are, the, how, how you, as you enter the kingdom, are adopted into the family of God and become one of the king's kids. The crown of a prince or princess is placed upon you. And, and he's not finished. And then he says, and he fills my life with good things. You've been blessing me already today, just explaining or, or remembering some of those good things. Even your presence has helped me today. I, I, I come in and I've seen some of you, some of you I haven't seen for Coon's age. It's been a long time. And, and yet, as I see you and meet you and come with you, it, it's like I remember how God has blessed me with your presence and touched me. He, he fills my life with good things. You know what? We're really good at taking a blank piece of paper and starting to list all the negative things. Oh, but this isn't working right. And I need this. And what about that? And have you ever tried to fill the opposite side? How much he's blessed you? How much he's given you? How many things you don't have to worry about in this world because God has already covered you with his abundance? And then he says he renews your youth like the eagles. I got to testify on this. Uh, Sometimes, once in a while, I work too hard. Put in too many hours or just keep going too long. And there's times I'm, I get really exhausted in ministry and, 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 and just life. I, I can think of time again and again and again that I would turn to the Lord and say, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I got nothing to give. My gas tank is empty. I, I just can't, I can't help this person or I can't be with that person because of, of, uh, I'm just, I, I'm empty. And he fills me up again. 
one of the struggles I have with my retirement is this, that some of you are going to say, well, Paul, you did this for us and you did this for us. No, I didn't. Jesus did it for you through me. Always hear that. Jesus did it through me. Now, let me go backwards a little bit. So when I was in grade uh, 10, 11, 12, something started to happen to me in my personal spiritual journey. I, I had accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'd grown up in a, in, in a preacher's home. I knew all the Bible stories. I, I had more Sunday school papers. Than, anyway, and, and, and I'm, I'm so old. We used to have comic strips on the back of our Sunday school papers. That was a long time ago. But something started to happen when I was in grade 10, 11, 12. Personal health things were going on inside of me that I started to get hard-hearted and bitter about. Certain things were happening in my life that I started to get bitter about because of what was happening to my dad and his health. And although I walked to church every day and, and I participated in church every day and I was part of my youth group and all of that, there, there was this outside of me and then there was this hardened heart inside of me that wanted nothing to do with God. I remember one time praying and saying, you know what, I'm tired of you. I'm taking care of my own life and I'm going to do what I want and you just stay away. Grade 12 year, um, I came down with an asthmatic attack and it was, it was one of those severe ones and uh, got to the point of me ending up being hospitalized. Now, I won't tell you the whole story, but as, as uh, I ended up in the hospital, they put me in and they put oxygen on me and all that and, and I started, you know, turning from blue to normal colors and things like that and, and I remember very clearly laying in that hospital bed and I heard a voice. I don't hear a lot of voices from God. But I heard a voice. You're taking care of your own life? So, how are you doing? I broke at that moment. I started to, I started to cry and I started to call unto God and say, I, got, I, I can't do it. Myself. I got nothing to do in this world. I, I can't. I need you. And I asked forgiveness and I returned to him and I made a deal. Lord, um, get me back on track. I'm going to go to Bible school for one year. I'll go to, for one year and then I'm going off and I'm going to get a good paying job and I'm going to get good money and go to buy the vehicles I want and the house I want and all, you know all the story. So I went off to Bible school, changed directions. Then I went two years. Then I went three years. And as, as I was going, the Lord was maturing me and deepening me and causing me to walk in, 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 in faith and learn so much about him. And, and as I started to do that, suddenly something started to happen that really upset me. He started to call me. Now, I don't know if you know this phrase, call. Call is something we often talk about for ministers, that, that they have a call from God to enter the ministry. I started to hear God saying, I want you to put all that business and, 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 and that idea, of uh, all of those dreams that you have, I want you to put it aside. I want you to go into ministry for me. Well, I got to tell you, the fight was on again. 
And, and I, as I started to fight, I started to say, okay, Lord, but I am not going to be a pastor. I am not going to be a pastor. I'll do anything else for you, but I'm not going to be a pastor. So I finished my bachelor's degree, and I applied, Dennis will like this, I applied for a mission. And I got accepted into a mission. I was going to go to Korea. And then the Lord closed the door. And so, so then it was like, Lord, I, I, I'll do anything you want, but I'm not going to be a pastor. And, 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 and I got into Saskatoon, and I started working, and this led to another thing. And then I, I, I started do, doing camping ministry. We have a beautiful camp in northern Saskatchewan. And, and they asked me to, first of all, be speaker, and then assistant director, and then director of the camp. And, and it blossomed. It, it just, it, it was great. And, and I, was, I was going to seminary at the same time, and, and this is my ministry. I'll do this for you, Lord. And then he closed the door again. And then you guys phoned. And I came here. Not sure. I don't know if George will remember, but after he left, there was this period, and you, they mentioned it, this period that I did not want to be a lead pastor. No way, I'll do anything but that. But after a wrestling, and it was a rough year, after a wrestling, they, the church leadership came back and said, can, can you consider this? And I went and prayed, and the Lord said, okay, I'll let you do that. Now, please, please, please do not miss what I'm going to say next. Because there's something that's wrong in our churches today that have this thing that's saying, if he's a pastor, or if he's a missionary, or if he is a camp director, then they're in ministry, but we're just lay people. I don't believe that's true. I believe actually that's a lie. And throughout my ministry, I've been talking again and again and again, saying, I got you, you need to understand. And we just did a study on Peter's life. And in Peter chapter one, he says this, he says, you're a royal priesthood. You are king's kids, and you've got a calling on your life to minister. And if I leave and you don't remember anything else about what I say, please remember you have a calling on your life to minister. Now, some of you will never get up on this stage. I know you. That's all right. But God has given you anointing. God has given you a gifting. God has given you a burden. God is working in your life and saying, I have this child that, you, that needs a ministry and, and, and you can help. And, and I have this, this senior who desperately needs your, your gifting to walk beside them. And I, I, I need you to work in this area of our ministry or that area. And he's called you. Some of you are wrestling as hard as I did. God has a calling on all of, all of us. Now, let me take you to the next verse, because I think it's fabulous. Have you ever had a, one of those phrases that just kind of rings in your head, and, and it says again and again? This is what Psalm 103 says this, but for every, for ev from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, awe, reverence him and his righteousness with his children's children and with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. 
God says, I want you to know something about that calling. That calling is centered in my love for you and my compassion for you. And, and, and as, you, as you reverence me or fear me, you will walk in obedience to me. And that love, here's the phrase, will last for everlasting to everlasting. Do you know how long everlasting to everlasting is? Because I, I, I started to try to figure, it's like everlasting. Well, how long is that? Forever to forever. Okay. So how far is everlasting to everlasting? Double that. God has a love for you. God has a deep, deep, compassionate love for you. He will forgive you. He will restore you. He will call you. He will direct you. He will gift you. He will always be with you. But look at the second part of the verse. For those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. You see, we need to be growing. We need to be changing. We need to remember his covenant, his commitment, both two directional. We also need to remember his precepts, his commands. We live in a world that's throwing out every possible command that they can find and throw away. I'm not going to get into the political stuff and all that that I've talked to you before, but we have a world that if God has made a rule, they're, they're, they're actively rejecting it right now. But our Christians... And so, as I leave, I, I want to leave you with one thought. It starts at the very beginning of this passage. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I looked up different translations. One says, all his kind deeds in your life. Another translation says, all he hath done for thee. Another translation says, and never forget a single blessing. My friends, you have blessed me. And one of the incredible things about today is you're going to remind me of that blessing, and you have reminded me of that blessing. But don't forget the blessings he has given you. Never, never Never forget a single blessing for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is simple, and yet this is true. Teach us as a people to praise you. Praise you for your love and compassion. When the world looks at us, it seems like there's not much about us, but the reality is you believe in us and you call us. And you will transform us. With each one here, give them time this week to remember again your blessings in their life. I'd ask this in Jesus' name.